Canadian Teen Book Lovers. It's been a while since I've been able to do a podcast, but I'm honored today to be joined by author Tom Ryan, who's from Nova Scotia. And we're going to talk about his book, Keep This to Yourself, which comes out in May. Tom, as you know, I I start the podcast with the question, everyone in Canada is from somewhere else, whether it's generations back or more recent. What's your family story? Well, I, I love to talk about my family story, and I, I'll try to <laughs> try to keep it as brief as I'm capable of. Most of my, you know, relevant family history, the history that I'm really connected to is on the East Coast, really specifically on Cape Breton Island. And uh, I, I grew up in Cape Breton in, in Inverness, and my family on both sides, with one exception, comes through Cape Breton. So my dad's grandparents on his dad's side were from Ireland and they emigrated in the early 1900s as a big group with a whole bunch of brothers and sisters, a couple of babies at the time. They left and came to Cape Breton to work in the coal mines. And that was basically the big industry in Inverness, which is where I'm from. And so I have, you know, roots going back, you know, three or four generations in that part of the world. And on my mom's side, her great-great-great-grandparents came from Ireland much earlier than that and also settled in the same area in Cape Breton. And there are also a bunch of Scottish ancestors who came over during the Highland Clearances. So I have really deep roots on Cape Breton Island. And my dad's mother was actually fully Acadian. And we've actually been able to trace back our ancestry on her side all the way back to the early 1600s, which is about as far back as you can go uh, when it comes to Eastern settlers, East European uh, settlers. So there were a group who came in, I think it was 1606, and settled in Annapolis Royal. And that was one of the first groups of, of French colonizers. And they gradually you know, spread around the Maritimes and became what we know now as the Acadians. And so, you know, we've only known that for a few years when my dad had his genealogy done. But it, it is kind of neat to think that, you know, I do have some family roots here that go back, you know, 400 years. Yeah. Yeah. And then my mom's um, mother was born in Cape Breton, but she married a guy from Ontario. And my mom was born here in Toronto. And her dad's side of the family is German. So I have some German ancestry, but we don't know a lot about that, that side of the family. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a story. I mean, there are all kinds of cool stories about the, there, there's a, there's a, a kind of a crazy story about my dad's great grandparents. My, so I guess my, my great, great grandfather came from Ireland in 1901 and he kind of came ahead with a couple of his brothers to, to scout things out. And he came and uh, left behind his wife and their baby in Ireland. And he came over just to see what the, get a sense of the scene. And he got to Cape Breton and decided after a winter that this wasn't the right spot. So <laughs> he turned back and was headed back to Halifax to get a ship back to the old country. But what he didn't realize was at the same time, my great, great grandmother and the, their two-year-old were already on their way. So they missed each other. She was on her way to Cape Breton while he was on his way back to Halifax and he he got to uh what is now Pier 21 which is you know where a lot of the settlers came 
the European settlers came back in the 1800s and 1900s, and he saw a, a notice on the wall that had a list of the people who had recently gotten off the ship. And he realized his wife and kid were en route back to Cape Breton. So he turned around again and he hightailed it back to Inverness. And that's where my family's been ever since. Wow. Yeah, so it's a pretty cool story. I'd love to write it someday, I, th I think. He was stuck with the winters, though. Yeah, well, I mean, we all are, right? That seems to be the thing. That's true. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine that, though? The lives they must have had coming over to Canada and taking that risk. An amazing risk. And then most of them were illiterate. They couldn't, they, they could barely write and read. And, you know, at that time, it was the only real option for these families. Yeah was to kind of get away from where they were and try and strike out in the, the new world. There's some amazing stories. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you start writing? Well, I think I'm typical of a lot of writers, definitely a lot of kid lit writers that I've, I've met were writing when they were really small. And I was definitely one of those kids. I grew up in an, my parents bought an old farmhouse and I grew up there. I had three brothers, but there were no other kids nearby. And we had the full run of this, you know, gravel road in the middle of the country. And we had no cable. We had CBC and that was it. And I read a lot. And this is obviously pre-internet days. So I, I was either outside with my brothers playing games or reading or making up stories of my own from a really early age. I mean, my parents talk about how I basically started telling stories before I could even read. And uh, I kept that up through school. I always really enjoyed writing short stories. And I had these, you know, grand imaginings. I would, I would create these scenarios and then cast my brothers. And we would play these big epic games that would take months in the, in the fields and the woods around our house. And uh, so I, I was always creating stories in my mind. And I, I started from an early age writing them down. And so when I graduated from high school, I didn't really have a clear idea of what I wanted. But I did know that I, I wanted to study to do as much reading as I could. So I went to Mount Allison uh, University in New Brunswick, which is a really great school. And they had a wonderful English program. And so I got a Bachelor of Arts in English and I read a lot. And at, in my final year, I, I took a, a creative writing class with a professor named Deborah Wills, Dr. Deborah Wills. She's still at Mount A. And it was really, that was the, the experience, that experience really planted a seed in my head that maybe I would someday write full time or write, you know, long form fiction novels because it was, it had this sort of old school feel. We were in this really old building on campus every Friday afternoon for three hours. I think there were 10 of us would gather around a giant wooden table in this creaky old room at the top of this building. And we would just sit around and, you know, compare notes on each other's stories. We did a lot of workshopping and I found that I, I responded to that in a way that I had never responded to really anything else. I just wanted to write stories. I wanted to tell stories. So I graduated from university. And at that point, it didn't seem like a viable, you know, giant student loan, right. writing novels. <laughs> it didn't seem like the most viable career. Um, so I I actually went back to school and did a two-year film, film program and uh, started working in the film industry in Halifax. Okay. And I kind of thought to myself, you know, I'll, I'll get out there in an industry that tells stories, albeit not novels but you know people are writing scripts and I thought maybe that's something that I can do that will make me you know a living and so I worked in the film industry for several years and you know I had a lot of interesting experiences I certainly met lots of great people and uh but I but I ultimately decided it wasn't the right fit for me and to, to jump forward in time in 2010 
and I had kept writing the whole time kind of on the side. I always had an idea. I was always sketching out a novel, but never quite finished following through. I wrote short stories, never really put it to bed, but it was kind of on the back burner. And in 2010, my, my husband, Andrew, who was in the military, was posted very unexpectedly from Halifax to Victoria on the West Coast. And I had a great job at the time, but, you know, as a family, we decided, we're, obviously, we're going to move and figured this is an exciting experience. And we moved to Victoria in the middle of 2010. And basically, we just discussed, you know, how, this is a big life change. How, how are we going to approach this? And he suggested, why don't you take six months and try and write a book? Because you've always wanted to do that. It's one of those things that you should, you know, if you, if you don't do it, if you look back on your life at 75, 80, and you haven't done it, you'll, you'll regret it. And he was also going away to sea. He's in the Navy. So he was, we, we landed in Victoria and about three weeks later he left on a ship. So I was in this new city. I didn't really know anybody. And I basically decided this is the time to do it. I spent a lot of time with my dog walking the streets of Victoria, which is a lovely city, thinking about what I was going to write. And it was around this time that I had one of those moments, those life-changing experiences that just pop out of nowhere and change everything. Because at that time, I was thinking I would write adult mysteries or adult fiction of some sort. And I hadn't really considered YA. Right. And... But because I was by myself and I really wanted to kind of get myself into the literary community, I, one night, I remember it was, we've been there about a month and I went online and I Googled writing courses, Victoria. And the only one that was available at that time was at UVic. And it was a night course that went, ran from September till November called writing and publishing for young adults. And it wasn't really the stuff I was thinking about writing, but I decided, you know, I'll take this. It's a, you know, it'll help me work on my craft and, you know, meet some people, maybe kind of, you know, get a, a new perspective on things. And it was taught, co-taught by Sarah Harvey from Orca, yeah, who just retired, but she was the acquisitions editor, the head editor at Orca and Robin Stevenson. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, I know, you know, Robin and I, I, I know, you know, off Sarah, I don't know if you've met her, but. I had never heard of these people before, but I took this class and I loved it. And I really loved Sarah and Robin and I became friendly with them right out of the gates. And at the end of the, I think it was an eight or nine week course, Sarah took me aside and she said, you know what? I really like your style. You should submit something to me. And when you're in, when you're out there, you're unpublished and you're trying to get your foot in the door. That's like a golden ticket, a Willy Wonka golden ticket. An editor at a, at a well-respected house says, write me something. So, of course, I dropped everything. I had kind of been developing an idea. And I thought to myself, you know, this could be this could be a young adult novel. And I'd also started to realize that in the time from when I graduated high school till my this was in my early 30s, queer LGBTQ young adult had become a thing. It was still really new. There weren't a lot of titles, but it was happening. And so I kind of felt, you know, I can be authentic. I can tell a story that you know, reflects my own experience in a young adult uh, format. And so that's what I did. I wrote the first draft of what became my first book, Way to Go. And I sent it to Sarah and I had no idea what she'd say, but she said, you know what? This is really rough. Um, (laughs) Sarah doesn't mince words. She's a fabulous editor and she, she doesn't, she doesn't play tricks. She's quite honest. And she said, this is a book that I, if I didn't know you, I might not sign it because it's really quite rough, but I think you have the qualities necessary to turn this into a real book 
And so uh, we worked on it together. Really, we did six or seven rounds of edits, and that became my first book, Way to Go. And I've never, I haven't really looked back since then. That's a really long answer. <laughs> I'm going to try and pare it down. For, I'm, I, I did, uh, I did tell you before we started that I talk a lot, so I'll try and keep my answers a bit shorter from now on. You're a storyteller. Yeah, it's true. It comes with the territory. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then. It was nominated for White Pine. I mm -hmm. remember how excited you were. Oh, my God. I was over the moon. I did not know. Full disclosure, I didn't know what White Pine was. I didn't know what anything was. I didn't know what anything meant. I didn't know anything about the industry. And uh, I just got this call. It was out. It hadn't been out for very long. And I got this email. We were in the, we were in the middle of another move, another military move from Victoria to Ottawa. And I think we had just landed in Ottawa and the book had been out for three or four months. And I got this call saying, you know, we were nominated for White Pine, which kind of put things on a whole different stage for me because I got to meet a lot of people. I got to yeah. go to the award ceremony and super exciting. That was exciting. That was a good year. It was a great year. Yeah. So how would you say that your upbringing has affected your writing? It's a great question. <laughs> it's a loaded question. Well, the the simplest way to answer that is that I grew up in a house full of books. Both of my parents read all the time. And, you know, like I, I mentioned already that I, I grew up telling stories and being encouraged by my parents to be creative, which I think is, you know, that's a gift. I, I have many friends whose parents, you know, were maybe a bit more skeptical of the creative path, but my parents were not the types of parents who said, go out and get a job with a pension plan. They said, do the thing that makes you happy and the rest of it will kind of fall into place. And so that part of my upbringing certainly gave me the confidence in, in some ways to, to kind of follow a creative path, to fall in line, fall into a creative lifestyle. And I think the other thing that impacts my writing is uh, I did grow up as a gay kid in the eighties and nineties when things were, and I, I don't mean to say that things are easy now because they're not by any means. They're, they're closeted kids in terrible situations, e even in, you know, wonderful contemporary progressive Canada. Um, but things are definitely a lot better than they used to be, at least in, in the Western world, at least in Canada. And back then it was, it was a struggle to be a young gay person trying to figure out who you were. And I think that that experience, you know, I'm, I'm out, I'm married, I'm very, a very happy, wonderful life now, but, um, those more negative experiences from my younger days, I think really impact what I try to do with a lot of my work now. So with my young adult fiction in particular, I'm, I'm quite dedicated to writing about queer kids. There are always going to be at least one or two queer characters in my books. I'm, I'm devoted to that. That will never change. And uh, so I think that's another thing that's really had an impact on my work. I find that the stories we're allowed to tell about LGBTQ youth have changed mm -hmm. in a good way. Mm -hmm. So in your new book, keep this to yourself it's about a teen who is gay who is trying to solve a murder mm -hmm. instead of a story about being closeted or persecuted or bullied and beat up and or suicide mm -hmm. that has generally been the narrative for a long time yeah how do you feel about that change well, I think uh, something that I heard, so 20, 2012, Way to Go came out in 2012. And at that point, there there had started to be more and more LGBTQ stories for and about young people. But one of the reactions I did get from 
people about way to go, which surprised me to be honest, was, you know, that's it's another coming out story. There are so many coming out stories. We need stories about gay teens or queer teens who are just in the world solving mysteries or going on adventures in space. And that that's a hundred percent true. And so I still, I push back a little bit about the, at the message that coming out stories are kind of done. We've done that because I think the coming out story is more or less universal for, for queer teens. It's going to continue forever. You always have to identify, there will come a point in, in most people's lives where they have to, to articulate who they are. And that's something that queer kids have to wrestle with more than, non-queer kids. But I, I did really take that to heart, this idea that it's really valuable for young people of all backgrounds to see themselves in fiction, not just through the lens of their struggles, but, you know, like I say, having adventures, solving mysteries. And so when I started to think about this book, I wanted to I grew up loving mysteries. I still love mysteries and thrillers. I read more mysteries and thrillers than I do anything else. And I read pretty much everything, but mysteries are really my sweet spot. And so I started to think to myself, you know, when I was a kid, I was reading Lois Duncan mysteries and Christopher Pike and the classics like Agatha Christie and you name it. I read, I read all that stuff. And one thing, especially in the teen stuff that I read that I did not ever see was somebody like me. And so I decided I'm going to write a mystery. I'm going to make it my goal to write a a mystery that I would like to read. Something really dark with lots of twists and turns and red herrings in a seaside, creepy seaside town, because that's my, that's my thing. I love, I love creepy seaside towns, (laughs) small towns with seedy underbellies and everyone's got a secret, but I'm going to center a gay teenager in the middle of the story. And so that's kind of how the idea came about. And then what also became clear to me as I wrote it was that Mac uh, is the main character. He is out. He's known to be gay to his family and his friends. That's not really a, a thing in the story. However, he's a relatively insecure person. And he has a certain amount of paranoia that comes along with being a gay teen. And one of the, the most important ways that that comes across on a page is Mac's best friend, Connor, was murdered a year before the story begins. And Connor was the victim of a serial killer. And Mac, a year later, gets finds a note from Connor that says, basically indicates that Connor was on the, on the case and he wanted Mac's help. But Mac, for one reason or another, missed the note. And so now it's a year later and he feels really guilty. And as he, he decides to go try and solve the case... And as he begins to look into this case, he starts to also wrestle with his feelings for Connor. And he starts to recognize that, you know, my, my best buddy who I grew up across the street from was not gay, but I think I maybe had feelings for him. And that adds a whole other layer of complexity and paranoia to the story. And so I think I was able to kind of, I, I hope I was able to navigate both sides. Like it is a traditional mystery with traditional, you know, rhythms, but there's also a, another layer of, you know, the very specific uh, circumstances of being a, a gay teen that I think lend themselves well to the story. So I've, I think it was, for me, it was one of the most enjoyable things I, I've written. I had so much fun writing it. And yeah, so I hope I can write more like it in the future. I did like that complexity of, as you said, Mac's feelings for Connor and then the other people telling him that Connor knew and 
and was using him, and that would be devastating. Mm-hmm. And I could see how that would happen. Mm-hmm. And I think as teens, we we often see ourselves through the eyes of our friends and our our you know the people that we've grown up with, and so that was important to me that he has this little group of friends that were all very tight as they were younger, Connor and and then three others, they all grew up together. And so Max starts to see himself through their eyes throughout the, throughout the solving of the mystery. And yeah, it was an interesting story to write. That's for sure. But yes, I mean, small towns feature heavily in your books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Not always positively. (laughs) that's based on your experience or my small town is great. I love small towns. I hope to live in a small town again. We actually own uh, my husband and I a few years ago bought a very old house deep in the woods outside of Inverness, which is where I grew up. And we hope to make that our community in the future when we've settled on the East coast. And so it's a great place. It's a truly wonderful place to grow up. I think that if you are a teenager dealing with any kind of, you know, identity struggle, being in a small fishbowl like environment like that can come with some, some <laughs> complications. So it's not that I don't love small towns because I do. I think that there's something really wonderful about a place where everybody knows and loves and helps one another. Uh, but I, it was my experience to know everybody that I saw every day. Everywhere I went, I knew everybody and their names. I knew who their parents were. I knew yeah. where they lived. And that's a really specific way to live that, you know, in these modern times, fewer and fewer people live in that kind of environment. And I think it, I think actually growing up in a small town helped me as a writer because I'm able to kind of draw those connections between various characters that might otherwise, you you might take character A and character B and not be able to understand how they fit together. But when you grow up in a small town and you realize that people are connected to one another in all sorts of different ways, I think, I think it's kind of a, it's a good tool to have in my writer's toolbox to be able to draw those connections quite naturally. Right. But I do feel like small towns get a bad rep because especially in LGBTQ fiction, it seems like, Oh, you grew up in a small town things will get better after you leave. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that that's true. I think part of that is also that I grew up in the nineties and so I'm, and again, it depends on where, where you are. Right. I think a small town in, you know, not to pick on any place, but if you grow up in a very small town in Alabama, you might have a very different experience than growing up in a small town in, you know, Ontario outside of Toronto. I think it depends on where you are. Um, but, and I do, you know, I'm pretty positive. I feel like things are changing for the better. I'm not, when it comes to the futures of the, the future for queer teens in Canada, which is the world I know best, I'm quite optimistic. I think are, I think things are getting better. Um, but I think, you know, like I said, I think it can be challenging to grow up in a small town for anybody. And if you have this whole other identity issue on top of that, it can be extra, extra complicated. Yeah. If there's anything that makes you different. Then... Yeah. Especially if you're afraid to to be open about it. If you have a family that's supportive and you can be open at home and open with a few close friends, that can go a long way to make you feel secure and safe and comfortable. But if you don't have supportive parents or if you have, you know, if you're in a really toxic school environment or a friend group that, you know, makes it really extra difficult for you to be open or out or what, whatever the case, um, I think that that can, you know, it can lead to a lot of uh, unhappiness and emotional 
emotional struggle. And a lot of me wants, there's a big part of me that wants my books to get to those kids above and beyond everybody else. And so I think I do, you know, I think maybe I do write a little bit of, you know, those small town difficulties into my books because I want the kids who are having those experiences to find themselves in my books right? and recognize, you know, they're, it's not just me. I'm here. I am in this book, or here's this a, a, a reflection of this experience that I'm going through in a book, and uh, you know. But you know, it's quite clear if you read "Keep This to Yourself" that Max, the good guy, he's you know, if you step away from that book and you you pick one good guy from that book, it's it's Mac, and everybody else might be kind of <laughs> the, the jury's still out on a few of the characters. But you know, I hope that kids who are having a, a tough time will read my books and you know maybe feel a little bit. Um, comforted by finding themselves in them. Was it hard? Uh, you said you really enjoyed writing the book, but when it comes to writing about a serial killer, how do you get into that mindset and, and <laughs> write about it? Oh boy. Well, it was, I, the, this book was a gift from my the deepest parts of my psyche to the, <laughs> to my, my typing fingers, because honestly, so much of it just happened. It just came to me in these moments of inspiration. I, the book actually wasn't supposed to be a mystery at all, or the first glimmering I had. So I, I think I'm not giving anything away to, to say that the very first chapter of the book revolves around digging up a time capsule. So there are these, this group of five teens who all grew up on the same street and when they when they finished junior high, so I think it was four years before this happens, they were a really tight friend group, and they buried a time capsule, and they told each other that they would dig it up again on the night of their high school graduation. And so the opening chapter of the book is takes place on high school graduation night, and they dig up this time capsule. That was the image I had in my head, and I originally had this idea where it's going to be a very conventional contemporary book where I was going to start at that moment and then kind of branch out and figure out what it was clear to me that they were no longer friends, but they had all felt obligated to open up this time capsule. And I was just going to follow the, the five characters on their own journeys. It was going to be a five voice book. Wow. And I was just going to, you know, kind of explore what was happening with these, these five kids. And then I was, I remember very, I know exactly where I was at. I take my dog, when we lived in Halifax, I took my dog for a morning walk at Point Pleasant Park, which is a beautiful park on the on the water in Halifax. And I was on a walk with him and I had music in my headphones and I came around the corner and something triggered a flash of inspiration. And I thought, one of those five kids is no longer alive. Why is he no longer alive? And by the time I had finished the loop with the dog and got back to my car, I had thought, I had, I had explained to myself that the 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 linchpin of their group had been killed by a serial killer a year before and now one way or another his friend the gay kid in the group the shire kid in the group is going to figure out what happened to him and it was like one book was in my head and then over the course of a 20 minute walk it turned into a completely other completely different book and so at that point i had to start you know i did a little bit of research into serial killers but really i just wanted to kind of create my i've seen enough movies and i've read enough mysteries to know that you know they all kind of have their own twisted ways of going about things right and so i just kind of i came up with this idea for 
his calling card, serial killer with a calling card seems to be a thing. And so he's the catalog killer who would leave an, a, a ripped out picture from an old catalog with each victim. And at that point, I had what I thought was a really great premise. And then I don't want to give anything away about the ending. I, a few days later, I had the idea for the the actual culprit. And once I had that piece, I had the end, I had the beginning, and I basically just had to write my way from A to Z. And yeah, so the serial killer stuff, I do listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, and that might have impacted a little bit. But really, it was just I I knew enough about what a serial killer is and does um, to kind of go out and create my own scenario. And what also kind of helped was that in this book, all the murders happened a year ago. Right. And... So I didn't have to be in that moment. It's all going back and exploring old clues. And so it, I think it made it a little bit less, you know, gory or disturbing than maybe it could have been. Yes. <laughs> and that maybe was my own, who knows why I, why I did that psychologically, but it, it seems to work for this story. Not something you wanted to delve into to I wasn't interested in, uh, like, I didn't want to do a graphic, gross story. I needed to explain enough about what happened. That yeah. it was disturbing and tense and creepy and atmospheric, but I didn't want you know people coming on, uh, coming upon dead bodies, and it just didn't. That's not the sort of story that I think I would do a good job of writing. Maybe in the future, who knows? But the structure of this book, once I figured it out, was really it, it helped me out a lot. I knew that there were some things that were going to limit me from that, but I I think it was just you know it was one of those things where I had a few different moments of inspiration and they all just kind of fell into my head at the right moment. And then from that point on, the story just wrote itself, which is great. And it doesn't always happen that way. That's for sure. No, that's a gift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's certainly atmospheric. Like the town is almost a character in itself. You've written it so well. Is it based on your child? Like, where you grew up or just a generalized seaside town or it's not, it's not based on my town at all, actually. Um, and geographically it's very specific and it reminds me more of, um, the South shore of Nova Scotia. So Cape Breton where I grew up was really the, the setting for way to go. It actually is right. explicitly, it's a different, the name of the town is different, but it really is based on where I grew up. This book is more, and Cape Breton is, you know, sweeping coastlines and big hills. It's very dramatic and cliffs. The south shore of Nova Scotia is lots of little, it's really beautiful, but it's little inlets and hidden coves and harbors and rocky outcroppings and fog coming in off the Atlantic Ocean. And my in-laws live outside of Lunenburg, which is a really wonderful town in Nova Scotia, a beautiful small town. And so very loosely, I had based the town of Cammer Cove on Lunenburg, just very, very loosely. As as soon as I needed a, something to be somewhere different in my head, that's why I just made that change in my mind. And uh, a lot of stuff happens up and down the coast. There are some kind of cool in, cool uh, settings that I was able to create that, yes. you know, in my head, I was able to kind of imagine, well, this is sort of like that, po- that point that we've sailed around. And then I just was able to put, for instance, there's a scene at a drug dealer's den. And I was able to kind of imagine it in this specific spot. Although there's nothing, there's no building there. I was just able to kind of plop one down there in my imagination. And uh, so, yeah, there there was just enough of a balance between having a real feel for the setting, but also enough freedom to create it the way I needed it to be. Do you feel it's important to have Canadian settings? 
Well, the interesting thing about this one is that I did not explicitly state that. No. And, no. But when I signed my contract with my publisher, they asked me if I was willing to change it to Maine. Uh. So the book actually takes place in Maine. And oh, the only thing that would indicate to anyone that it is in Maine is that he goes to Portland. Right. To, to see somebody that I don't want to give it away, but there's a moment when he has to drive into Portland to have an important meeting with somebody. And in the book, as I originally wrote it, I don't even think I called it Halifax. I think he just went into the city. And so that was something I had to think about that a little bit, but you know, we had it out on submission for about a year before we got a bite. And so ultimately I was just, I really wanted the book to be published. And it's very important for me as a Canadian writer to that, you know, a lot of my material, some of my material is set in Canada, but I think that the books where that's more, I think that's more important to me when it's a book that I have a real driving need for it to, to sit in, in a Canadian location. So I wrote a book with Robin Stevenson that's coming out next year. Right. Um, and it's an American publisher, but they they had no problem with it being a Canadian book, which is great. And my characters from Halifax and her characters from Victoria and everything happens in the middle of the country and in the Muskokas and Toronto. And uh, so that was a really Canadian book. We, we set out to write what we like to call the, the big queer Canadian YA novel. <laughs> so that, that book needs to be in Canada. Yeah. This one, who knows? I think it would, I think it would work just as well in Canada or in, in Maine. And the good thing about being in Maine is that I got the most amazing compliment of my, probably my career <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Somebody reviewed, keep this to yourself. And they said it was like, Murder, she wrote with a gay teen, Jessica Fletcher, <laughs> which is, there's no higher compliment to me. So that works well. That's tough, though. I think that would be a tough decision to make it be asked to put it in Maine and, and have to decide whether you wanted to do it. But you said it took a year for anyone to show interest. Really. We had a few close calls. It went to acquisitions at three publishers and for various very practical reasons, they decided against it. I had a lot of really, really positive feedback from different editors at different houses. Ultimately, it landed at Albert Whitman and Eliza Swift. Uh, she's no longer with them. She's she's moved, um, but she was the acquisitions editor and she was absolutely amazing to work with. The book is a hundred times better because of her input. And so I feel like it landed in the right spot. And honestly, I didn't have to change anything about the book for it to be in Maine. I just had to call the city Portland. That was literally the only change I had to make. So I didn't feel as if I was compromising the right. integrity of the book by doing that. I mean, you know, if you, if I had my choice, it probably would be Nova Scotia, but you know, like I say, with certain books, I think I'd be, I'd be more I'd be firmer about that because it would have more of an impact on the story. But this one, it didn't, it didn't really change anything about the story itself. The other change was I had made up college names, university names. So it was kind of this vague world where the colleges weren't, they just had, I had made up names of universities and they asked me to change them to the names of like Cornell and a couple of other schools. Like I think somebody goes to Princeton, that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you keep that in mind though? who your audience is going to be in terms of writing for Canadian teens or American teens? I do. I, th I think my goal, ideally my goal is to just write books that the characters and the story are more important than the setting. 
sometimes the setting is like I say, the book that Robin and I wrote, the setting's really important. It, it's really important that it happens at Toronto pride and there is, it's a really Canadian book. It has, it feels Canadian and it's important to the story. So with that one, you know, I hope that any teen anywhere will pick it up and read it and, and get something from it. But it, it was important to both of us that it be a really Canadian story. Same thing with way to go, which was, you know, the, the, there's the old cliche of the, you have to get that semi-autobiographical novel out of the way. Yes. And so for me, that was the way to go. No question. I mean, I, I wrote that book and I'm still dealing with people from my hometown asking me, who is this character supposed to be? And who is that character? Is that your mom? Your mom? I thought your mom was different. And uh, so that book taking place in Cape Breton was very important. And, you know, fortunately I was working with uh, an editor who was happy to let it stay in Cape Breton. So I think book by book, right. And, you know, when I'm writing genre fiction, it's not as important to me as if I'm writing, yeah. you know, more authentic, realistic, contemporary, contemporary stuff. That's the danger of being a writer. Yeah. <laughs> People have lots of questions. Everyone's looking for themselves in your work. Yeah. It's actually funny because I, I really did, you know, I was talking about small towns and how everybody knows everybody else and everybody knows everybody's business. And that can be great in a lot of ways, but it can also be really stressful when you're writing a book that takes place in the town because then people have lots of opinions. And so I was getting all sorts of questions about, you know, who's this and who's that. But I thought I had covered my basis in terms of the family because the main character in Way to Go has one younger sister. Yes. And I have three younger brothers. And I thought at least nobody's going to confuse, confuse, <laughs> get anything confused there. And the first question my brother Callum asked me when he read the book was, so which one of us is the sister supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> so you just can't win. No. <laughs> so um, you said that you really enjoy mysteries and thrillers and you're going to keep writing them. Yes. Yes. I, so I, I, I have written one. And there might be news about it soon, but I'm not allowed to say anything about that. So I have another mystery that I just finished writing about a month ago, and that's all I'll say about that right now. Okay. And I'm just about, maybe I've started another mystery. It's kind of a mystery. It's a bit different. It has a mystery element, but it's set in 1985. And I'm about a third of the way through that book right now. And after that, I have, I'm one of these people who, I know writers who it takes them a long time to come up with the next idea. Yeah. I do not have that problem. I have lists and lists and lists. I've come up with a new idea for a book three times a week. And the problem for me is which ones do I sit down and because it takes a while to write a book. And yeah. The problem is which one am I going to write next? So I have kind of a backlog. I have two books to write this year. One because I it's the 1985 book, which is really fun to write. And I, I you know, the... The second mystery I wrote, which I just finished, took me two years. It was a real struggle. And so I wanted to write something that was, you know, fresh in my head and really fun. And I had it completely plotted. So that one's happening really quickly. And then after that, I have a book that I'm also really excited. might not be the right word, but I'm really kind of anxious to get at because I, I was lucky enough to get a Canada Council for the Arts Grant to write a book. And I'm I tend to keep the details of my works in progress close to the chest, but I think that this this will be a very Canadian, very serious contemporary book. And so I'm going to, my goal is to finish that by the end of the year and hopefully get those two books out of the way and then move on to more mysteries because I, I've never had as much fun writing a book as I did with Keep This to Yourself. It's just, it's a, it's a challenge that works well for me. 
And, you know, the, we've talked about atmosphere. Writing atmosphere into a mystery is very important. And yes. I love doing it. And I think it's one of my strengths as a writer. I love writing atmospheric locations. So it's a very rambling way of saying, yes, I hope to write <laughs> more <laughs> mysteries down the road. Still for a teen audience? Both. I think I, I love writing for teens. And, you know, you, you hear when you start writing young adult fiction, you get a lot of, when are you going to write an adult book questions? And oh, yes. <laughs> I get it all the time. And I know that really bothers some people. For me, I find it kind of flattering because to me, it, it indicates that people want to read my stuff. And I, I want to always say, just read my young adult stuff. You'll Maybe you'll like that. Um, but I do think that I will someday take a crack at an adult mystery. Oh. I have an idea for a series set on the East Coast, but the young adult stuff is going really well right now. And I love it. And I'm building an audience and I feel like every book I write is stronger than the last book. And that's a good spot to be in. So I will think long and hard about it before I put that to the side for a while to write an adult mystery. I think I think uh, sticking with the young adult stuff right now makes a lot of sense for me. Yes. Well, we've come to the end of our time. <laughs> I've really enjoyed hearing your stories and talking about your book, which I quite enjoyed. It was just, I do read a lot of contemporary teen fiction, and so it is sometimes like a palate cleanser <laughs> mm -hmm. to read a mystery that just draws you in right away and you can't help but turn the pages. So it was an excellent read. It was just what I needed at the time. It oh, wow. Great. Well, that's high praise. That's exactly what you want to hear when you're writing a mystery. You want people to say, I just had to keep turning the pages to find out what happened. So that's, that's really wonderful. And I'm so excited that you asked me to come do this podcast. I, I'm just such a, a fan of, of you and the CCVC and I'm, I, this is just a real honor. So thanks so much for having me on. And as you can tell, I could just talk and talk and talk about my books uh, forever. So this was a really, uh, this was a great way to get some of this out of my system. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me, Tom. I hopefully will be back next month and I have potential authors lined up but nobody to announce just yet but until then happy reading bye